Hello and welcome to Robot Congress Classics. This week, the future of awe. Ryan and Austin discuss the ways that robots can be the future of fighting. They also discuss in stories, the World of Warcraft classic pattern. And Austin refuses to edit Austin's audio. Sounds like a fool. Alright. No, I don't think that's gonna work. Hello, friends. Welcome to Robot Congress Classics. This week in the future of war, we discussed Nostalrius, a private server of World of Warcraft made by and for those that wanted to experience that classic feel of World of Warcraft before any of the extra expansions released. For any of our listeners not in the know, World of Warcraft is an incredibly popular, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. At its height, it had over 10 million subscribers, over 10 million people playing orc shamans, human paladins, gnome mages, all running around this huge online world cooperating with and killing one another. The push to have private classic servers never really ended. Even after Nostalgarius was shut down, and it was, others popped up, and now Blizzard is releasing World of Warcraft Classic. Eventually. Eventually they're releasing it. We'll see how well it actually does. I, for one, am eager to try it, but I'm, uh, I'm under no illusions. Uh, it's probably not my cup of tea anymore, because most MMOs are not. As much as I'd like to get into MMOs and be able to play with 10, 20 of my friends consistently, I can't get myself to actually play one for more than the 10, 15 minutes that I sit down and try it for. War! What is it good for? Apparently, discussion. Clones, drones, droids. Morrison watches me fall apart mid-sentence. We talk Star Wars, Star Trek, lasers and bullets, ghost in the shell, cybernetics. At one point, Morrison doesn't edit my raw audio because this is when he did the editing and he had the power to make me sound the fool that I am in real life. We go into the idea of using video games as training for future warriors, just like The Last Starfighter, if you know what The Last Starfighter is. StarCraft players could be the future of strategy and tactics in warfare as they control millions of little robots swarming over the ground, fighting other millions of little robots. We also discuss DARPA, uh, advanced weapons research, and how we could use a satellite laser to clean stains from your clothing. That's the future of the war on fashion. That's it from me, folks. Please enjoy this Future of War Robot Congress Classics episode. Word to your mother. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to Robot Congress. I'm Ryan Morrison. And I'm Austin Hoffman. This week we're going to be talking about the future of war. Am I going to be killed by drones? Can a robot commit a war crime? And will the Cardassians finally get what's coming to them? All this and more on this week of Robot Congress. This week in Is It As Bad As It Seems, we're going to be talking about Nostalrius, the core World of Warcraft server run by private peoples. For those not in the know, World of Warcraft is one of the most successful multiplayer games ever. It's giant, had about 13 million subscribers at its height, I believe. I think now it's more closer to 8 or 9 million. Sure, it's fallen off substantially in, in recent years, and a big reason... For that is a lot of people thought the game was dumbed down too much or it was made too simple or just too much was added. And a lot of people, honestly, right around our age group that grew up with the game started being nostalgic and missing the original or as they call it, vanilla WoW, meaning no expansions, no DLC, nothing added. It was just 
what was there on release. Original WoW as it was intended by the creators before it got diluted with so many additions. We had this server run by a private group of individuals, and we have Blizzard, who runs the current iteration of World of Warcraft and obviously owns the intellectual property. They own the copyright, they own the trademark, they own everything. What they also own is the right to say who can do anything with their intellectual property. This private server hit about a million users at, at its height, which is a bad thing for them. Because Considering now, WoW had about 8 or 9 million people nowadays, and if this server is getting a million people, that's like a tenth of their audience. Exactly. And when you're that successful, the company you're completely stealing from is going to notice. I can't tell you how many people have tried to make an argument that this is fair use, or that it's abandonware since it, uh, World of Warcraft has so many expansions now. But isn't it fair use? I it, mean, it's clearly they, not. But but they, <laughs> they weren't charging people to play on these servers. Sure. So that's a, a, the number one thing I always hear. Oh, but the, it was free. It was free. Blah, blah, blah. That doesn't matter. Free does not mean fair use at all. And when you're so blatantly ripping something off and so blatantly going against the terms of service and the EULA, the end user license agreement, you're just not, you're not going to come out the other side okay. How I, was it against, how was this against the, the EULA? I mean, how, like, so what, what EULA yeah. says you can do this with the game. You can't do this with the game. This is our property. Here's what you're allowed to do. Normally, that is you can make add-ons. You can go to curse.com. You can throw some add-ons, and you can enjoy this at, at your own kind of experience. So to be clear, it says that you can add add-ons, really. So they're enhancing the game, but they're they're enhancing Blizzard's game. Exactly. You're still in Blizzard's game at the end of the day. You're just making your life easier. You're adding like a better mini-map, but you're not actually playing a separate game. And this server, Nostalgia, Nostalgia I believe it's called. Nostalrius. 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 Uh, was just entirely a different game. I mean, it was had no affiliation with Blizzard in any way, other than they were using all of Blizzard's assets. So it's a sad story. I, believe me, I understand why people want to play the vanilla game and, and really missed it and wanted to experience that again. I would love to play vanilla EverQuest, honestly. But so a lot of people will always say well what about this one what about that server what about this game why isn't that shut down but this one is because it it doesn't matter like that's not an excuse that's if a cop pulls you over you can't say well everybody else was speeding if you murder somebody you can't say oh but look at the death rates this year i'm just one of many that's not a, a defense the defense here would be please don't sue us into oblivion i don't know if they're being sued i would imagine honestly not based on the public posts i've seen from the people running it normally there's a gag order immediately or if you're in a settlement negotiation your attorney tells you please shut up and do not talk here that hasn't been the case so i imagine this was more of a take your server offline if you guys want to have a house tomorrow i and think they also uh after after Nostalrius agreed to shut down they sent all the information out into the internet wilds so people could start their own private servers sure and that happens every time one of those private servers is, is shut down and again now people will go find another home on a vanilla server somewhere that's not going to disappear but it's not going to have a million users and blizzard won't go after it that's the that's really the big thing is because it didn't have like 50 people sharing a server that you know was private like ultima online has uh that's another mmo where they have private servers but they don't really care even though there's still an existing ultima online i guess because it's just the pure number of players as opposed to like a million Right. A million is a huge chunk. And, and plus, Blizzard has an expansion coming out. It's not like they've given up on the game. They very much want everybody to come back home, as it were. And I bet half of this million will go wind up in WoW. Uh, it, you know, it's not a dumb move. Blizzard doesn't really make dumb moves. They're pretty intelligent. So when you look at this, and so I guess the question, is it as bad as it seems? It depends who's asking it. Uh, it's yeah, it's as bad as it seems for the vanilla server. That one won't be back. And those people, you know, I wish them the best. But, you know, they would 
they have quite a judgment against them if if Blizzard wants to pursue legal action. Is there any way to make a game server like that legal or to prevent it from being shut down? Because there are games that I love, MMOs that have been discontinued, like City of Heroes. The customization in that game was fantastic, and the combat was great. You could the fly character around. select in City Heroes is probably the best character creation I've ever done. And the game was shut down. They had a big event because basically the, the company couldn't maintain it anymore. Sure. So, I mean, that's a different scenario. Uh, but the, listen, the legal answer is get a license. If you want to use somebody else's content, if you want to use somebody else's assets, get a license. If you like Vanilla WoW so much, but it doesn't exist anymore, make your own IP, make a game very similar to Vanilla WoW. They don't own the mechanics. They don't own the idea of, of an MMO. So go ahead and make your own game if you want. But if you put Thrall in it, you're asking for a big problem. Or if you use all of the assets from Vanilla <laughs> WoW. Or every single asset, right. So yeah, if they if this was to be done legally and properly, you would need an okay from Blizzard, which they've been very blatant that they don't, they're not going to give one. Yes, because they're still running the game and they still want to make money off of it. I mean, Blizzard could release a vanilla server on I guess WoW. it's not worth it to maintain and they'd have to worry about adding content to it, even though the idea is that there is no added content. Yeah, I don't. I mean, listen, we don't know their metrics. We don't know their numbers, but I know that they have said we're not doing it. After this, after they've seen a million players that they just kind of nuked and the huge lashback online, which which hasn't even... It's strange because you see these, these posts at the top of Reddit. It's not even anger at Blizzard. It's almost, you know... It's almost like talking back to an angry father. They know Blizzard is the reason they have this game in the first place. They're just sad and hurt almost that they're taking this game away from them. They're upset that they don't have the option to play that core game without any extra expansions in it. Right, which I get. I understand. I, I It would be cool to go try it again. I honestly didn't even know about it until it was gone. I, I've known about similar servers and similar games, but this one in particular I was not aware of until everybody started saying, hey, can you help these guys? And normally, I'm happy to help people. Normally, I would absolutely jump on something like this pro bono. But not if it's a complete lost cause where they have no ground to stand on. I mean, as you can see, I work with the Project M guys. Project M was Smash Brothers with with the exact same assets and same names and everything else. But this is even even worse than that. This is nothing improved upon. This is hopeless. Is it as bad as it seems? Yes, yeah, it is. It's it's bad. I, I You can read through my AMAs if you've never heard me before. You can go look at my history. I am always trying to stand up for the little guy and figure out a loophole or a workaround. There's nothing here. Stop emailing me. <laughs> talking about the future of war halo could be where we really end up they have the spartans they're genetically and cybernetically enhanced soldiers he's got cortana in his head that's basically artificial intelligence helping him decide things he's basically captain america in a super suit with an ai telling him what to do so he's like iron man but iron man is not a super soldier but he uses his cybernetic suit so do you think master chief's suit is more like an armored core suit or more like a darpa suit where it's just helping him jump further i think it's supposed to be like melded with him in some in some places and like he he definitely has some cybernetics so it's like probably attached to him so it's not it's not like a mecha suit we know that but it's real ambiguous if he can even take that suit off kind of right he take the helmet off at some point yeah i don't really remember halo was never halo was my jam for quite a while but i never i didn't play the follow-up games and i'm unsure i fell off after three i played a little odst Uh, when you didn't play master chief i actually played odst just because malcolm reynolds nathan fillion was the voice and then i i was like "Ah, that's really not enough i can't get into this <laughs> you're telling me that mal wasn't enough for you do you think we ever have the needler i don't like the needler so i would not want the needler why would i want a gun that shoots projectiles slowly that you could dodge out of the way of and because they're also kind of 
guided and then they explode later and they're their needles and it's cool it, it, it's an unnecessarily cruel weapon it's like a flamethrower and we don't have flamethrowers anymore because of one of those crazy conventions i would just like somebody. to as an aside let everyone know that austin doesn't research anything or nobody's talking Correct. about so that that might not be true nope but i'm pretty sure it's true based on my own brain that's the fun of the that's the fun of robot congress <laughs> it's just like real politics half of the room has no idea what it's talking about <laughs> Star Trek was always interesting with its different technologies and the defensive technologies that they used because it was always about exploration and not not really war. They engaged the Borg in battle. Good you bring up the Borg because despite never having really watched Star Trek, I saw two episodes in my day and those two episodes both stood out to me in a way where you would think I would have explored the show further, but I never did. The two episodes I remember seeing, the first is about the Borg, about how they are kind of one collective mind, correct? Correct, yes. So that's interesting and something we can get into, but the other episode really sparked my interest more where I don't know what series this was I don't know who was on the crew but basically they went to a planet that simulated the battle and then they asked the crew members to be transported down to the surface to be killed because even though they didn't die in combat they died in the simulation I have no idea what you're talking about pretty sure it was Stuart really yeah it was it was super interesting episode that I watched on an airplane but it wasn't interesting enough for you to get into Star Trek no no. And it was a Patrick Stewart one. I think so. I'm surprised you don't know it. it. It Basically, what happened was the Enterprise gets near a ship, and the planet is going to defend itself. It thinks that it's a threat, and they simulate the battle that would have happened, and they say, well, all right, we hit this part of the ship and two of your crew members died, so please send down two to die. And now we don't have to actually waste resources on having the war because we already simulated it. Isn't that good enough? I get the idea. I mean, it's kind of like playing chess to decide the outcome of, of a battle, but uh, no, it's I, 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 simulating a battle. So what if we have eventually robots fighting wars for us and we can just simulate and see exactly what they would have done based on reactions? I can simulate my Madden game. I can simulate a Dota game. Why can't I simulate war in 30 years? Simulations are definitely a great way of training people. The actual war, though? Well, we know what's going to happen. Why waste all those resources if I know I'm going to send my robot army at China, China's going to send their robot army at us, and now we know exactly what's going to happen because they are robots and they react a certain way. So let's just simulate it. So in this way, however, both countries are agreeing that if you win, then you win, despite the fact that you didn't actually, in physicality and reality, win. And wouldn't it be ridiculous for two countries at war with each other to agree on something? I'm saying they wouldn't abide by these rules well of course that's very counterintuitive that two countries fighting each other would be agreeing on something but then you can look at the geneva convention which basically is our rules for war it has a lot more signatories than you might think the geneva convention itself is actually four treaties but most people refer to the 1949 one which happened after world war ii what that says is how we can treat prisoners how we can treat civilians and how we can treat soldiers it doesn't talk about what actual weapons or all the chemicals we use we have other treaties for those but the geneva convention's the big one. It's the one that that lists what is a war crime. It basically says that the rules of this convention apply to all signatories fighting each other. It also applies to signatories fighting non-signatories, a kind of do unto others type mentality. It says things like the wounded shall be collected and cared for, surrendering soldiers need to be treated humanely, among many other things. It's enforced by the United Nations Security Council, which is one of the most neutered organizations on the planet. And regardless, it's important to note that not all breaches are treated equally. There's quote-unquote grave breaches that are considered war crimes. Those are as follows. The willful killing, torture, or inhumane treatment of prisoners. That also includes biological experimentation. So 
No black art Nazi stuff, please. It bans compelling a protected person to serve in the armed forces of the country that just took them over. So no slavery military. The issue is that countries that agreed to these terms have to follow them and they have to be enforced if they decide to not follow them. How are they going to really realistically enforce them? Well, so that's the thing. They're not enforced. I mean, if you look at the amount of times the United Nations has gone after somebody for a war crime, you can probably count that on one hand. I actually don't know off the top of my head. It's possible it's been zero. So in the future, these countries that have these robot armies for some reason agree that if they lose a simulation, they'll have lost in reality. But there's nothing to really stop them from saying, oh, we lost in the simulation, but I think we would have won in reality, so we're going to have a war anyway, because a lot in a battle or in a war isn't necessarily just planning and tactics, it's also luck. If you look at the Geneva Convention, it applies to the signatories, even if they're fighting someone who doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. A a big part of that agreement was saying, we are better than the monsters we're fighting. We are going to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We're not going to torture a human being just because they're on the other side. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be fighting countries constantly that are going to torture our guys or are going to be just truly monsters to even to their own people. Plenty of countries are. So I, I think we have to, as one of the most technologically advanced countries really take a step back and say, is it okay we do this before we do it? Just having the power to be able to win a war and and destroy a country with the click of a button doesn't mean we should. It's not a nuclear option in the sense that it's going to result in the end of the world, but we're getting there. Instead of questioning the future, how about we look at the present? We have drone strikes. We're already using this automated technology and we don't have anything necessarily regulating it, do we? As far as Geneva Convention. No, but of course we do. I mean, not internationally that I'm aware of. There might be, truly. I mean, I know the UN's discussed it at length, but it's a huge political issue about whether or not we can do drone strikes. The best example of national outcry, I think, was when we had an American citizen go join, I want to say Al-Qaeda, it might have been Taliban. It's been a while since I read about this, so I, I, I shouldn't probably be talking about it without researching, but... Hey, it's never stopped me before. And we're live anyway. Yeah, that's right. There's no way we can just pause this button. And edit it. But in all seriousness, so there's an American who leaves and joins a terrorist group. And we ordered and and had a drone strike against him. So that's an American citizen without any due process that we gave capital punishment to. Was he an American citizen anymore if he went to war with America? Certainly an argument and an argument they used. He renounced his citizenship the second he went to fight against us. But that's not really how that works. But take terrorism out of it. Take this extreme example out of it. We use drone strikes in wars. We're going to forevermore. Isn't that problematic? Isn't that something we should take a step back and say, is this okay? I'm not saying we need to have a human deal with the guilt of murdering someone in order to commit a murder in a military battlefield. But I am saying removing that emotion entirely it, it leads to just this being easier and killing people should not be easier but you are making it easier on the troops you're taking out the whole toll of killing somebody so of course they're going to want to use drones and automated systems to do this stuff that way you don't have to shoot somebody or knife somebody in person and get blood all over you and be horrified and have ptsd you right. can just push a button and you might know in your head that you killed a bunch of people it might be like kind of dropping bombs it's it's more of a it's a much more detached experience. And that mentality is why I think we're going to have a lot of countries doing this pretty quickly. And oh 
my, watch how the borders grow on these countries that have technology. I don't think there's going to be too many third world countries putting up a fight in 15 years if somebody wants to go take all their resources. We don't have that many countries annexing other countries right now, do we? I mean, not Russia right now. Tried with, Russia tried with Georgia, I think, right? Sure. But that got shot down pretty quickly because we have so many other countries that are just against taking over other countries right now. Right now. And I think it's going to be harder to do when Russia says, OK, come try to stop us. And they just send in their robot army and they occupy Georgia in an hour. Didn't they do that? But without robots? Yes. Well, it's embarrassing we've talked about wars this long without talking about the the better of the stars blanks Star Wars. I just think episode four is the greatest movie. So everyone always says, what's your favorite Star Wars? Is it Empire or Jedi? And I think the, the correct answer is A New Hope. When Han Solo comes back to the Death Star... You forget he's in the movie at that point. But when he comes back to the Death Star, holy wow, is it so cool that you think Luke is done for. And You don't think Luke is done you for. You do think Luke is done for. Episode 5 was better than 4, but episode 7 was definitely better than 4. So you just said two movies are better than the one I said was Correct, worse. yes. You have the wrong opinion. Including also 6, which is your favorite then, I would assume. 6 is unfortunately... Actually, oh, I have a really tough time here categorizing 6 and 7, because 7 might be better than 6, because 7 altogether is just a better movie than than all the others which is incredible they did a really great job with it but yeah six still has the throne room scene which is incredibly emotional and it's fantastic well but in star wars it's interesting because instead of making less humans on the battlefield they've almost put more the battles are now taking place in space and you have thousands of people on every star destroyer every smaller ship is manned by a human pilot instead of making them drones or operated by computers or somebody down at a base it's interesting because the the separatists were mainly drones that they had mostly those war drones and they were the ones that were going to win if it wasn't for the republic army which were on which were all clones and that's because the clones were better than drones but they were mass-produced like drones were the clones better or did they betray everyone that they were with in combat (laughs) first of all in combat the clones were were better than the droids we were saying drones the combats were better the the clones were better than droids in combat side lawyer note did you know droid is a trademark term for lucas arts are you serious yes well what's droid droid's not short for anything right it's no droid droid is a word from star wars your phone is licensed from star wars when you call it a droid really wasn't do you know when what order they did that in because because yes you're right like the androids the the droid line of android phones are droids uh so, so did lucas arts license that i guess before droids like in the original trilogy so you think cell phones came out before star wars is that your question no i just don't remember that they are called droids in the original series i don't know what i'm thinking what is happening right now i don't know um, i'm watching you fall apart what, you, you had such a good game going what was the side what, what what before people you, were gonna like you, you after said this the side, no i want people to like me In a military setting, we want to get soldiers off the field. We don't want to be having casualties of American troops or any troops. Uh, We don't want casualties in war. That would be nice. It would be wonderful to just not have war, but that's not really obviously realistic. So instead, yeah, we have a more expensive robot, but that robot doesn't take damage when it's shot as it would if it was human. Again, Again, we have to assume, though, that the weapons that the robots are using can hurt other robots. Because, so they will get damaged like a person will get damaged. So they do have to be concerned about their own well-being. Well, that's down the line. I think initially there's going to be five nations that can kind of do whatever they want with their death robots. And it's going to be a bleak couple months. But what if these killbots have a preset kill limit so you can just throw bodies and bodies at them until they shut down because their kill limit's been hit? The Russian way of fighting wars. That's a Futurama, but yes. How does the furnace robot guy from Ghost in the Shell deal with killing people? So the furnace robot guy from Full Metal Alchemist does 
does not like killing people. And in fact, I don't remember if he. It, it's not till like the middle of or end of the show where he kills somebody because okay, he's that's a kid. Fine. Spoilers. He's a spoilers. Kid. Spoilers. However, in Ghost in the Shell, that's a very interesting idea because they're what all about hooked up to each game? other. Oh my god. Let me finish the Ghost in the Shell. No, we're thing. not actually talking about Ghost in the Shell. I we will, I, I I just wanted to awesome. talk about this a little bit. Awesome. I know we can't talk about awesome. Ghost in the Shell. We're every not time. ever talking about Ghost in the That's Shell. That's fine, again. but I'm just going to talk about this just very quickly because I'm it's something edit it interesting. Out. Fine. So these ground troops, they're linked up to each other. They this have will not heads be in the up. Show. Dis- they have heads up displays because they all have those cyber brain implant things. So they can see what each other, what what the other squad mates are seeing. They can see everything. That the squad can see, which I just said twice in a row. But you're not I'm, putting I'm it not, on anyone. I'm not editing any of this, and I'm not putting it in the show, but I'm so happy that people now know how you sound before I edit you. <laughs> Good. Now they can hear me. Yes. What was the other thing you wanted to talk Are about? Are you finishing your story? That, that was it. They can, they have a heads-up display. They Holy. Can, they, a- anyway. So in Ghost of the Shell, they have a heads-up display. They can see what their squad mates are seeing. It gives you more of an idea of the battlefield. You can take shots based on someone else's vision. That seems overwhelming. Anyway, you said the kid was 13, but what about something like Ender's Game? What if we have people controlling robots, controlling armies, and just like real life, it turns out the 13 to 17-year-old bracket are some of the best gamers around, and therefore, unfortunately, also the best death dealers with these military weapons. I mean, look at the international with Dota. Sumail is 15 years old and a millionaire because he was the best gamer in the world. Doesn't it make sense, then, that a lot of the people who would be the best drone pilots or the best ground troop operator would be 15-ish? If we could create these robots that could respond to these commands that quickly, yes, because what? How many actions per minute or action clicks per second do these people have? StarCraft players. It's insane. It's terrifying to think, but I would bet my law firm that there's going to be quite a few countries that say, hey, let's put the 13-year-old in the pilot seat. He's just better at clicking than we are, and this is how it works now. I guess, like Ender's Game, it would just be a matter of tricking him into thinking it was just a simulation when, in fact, it was really a war, and he had just killed millions upon millions of people. I don't know that that's even accurate. You can see how many child soldiers there are. It's not... I don't... I think Ender was kind of lucky to be tricked. I think most children in most countries would be told, hey, get in the pilot seat. You're about to kill a bunch of people. That's kind of terrible. It's kind of reality. Coney 2012. Remember that? I'm not big on social media. <laughs> we all like the Facebook status, and now there's no more child soldiers. No, way over my head. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, <laughs> it doesn't matter because Facebook beat it. One like equal one prayer. If we get 1,400 <laughs> likes, we can give this child a heart. The Ender's Game kind of war general, though, is a lot more realistic now. When we have all these robotic troops and all these different ways to attack people through the air, through the water, through ground, it's going to be like controlling a StarCraft game. I really believe that's the way we're headed. And maybe it's done on a much smaller scale where it's one general controlling only 15 troops in a small area and there's a bunch of people doing it. But there's no reason to think that that's not a possible path we hit. It's like one of my favorite real-time strategy games, Supreme Commander, where it's one guy in a big mech suit and a bunch of little robots that he controls do they fight in their robot suits i have not played that game. you can actually fight in your robot suit but you don't usually want to because you would get destroyed and blown up and it's a big nuke and you lose because your guy died what is the tactical advantage to having the commander on the battlefield as opposed to in a nice safe house in dc maybe it's a range issue i'm not sure why the commander would be on the battlefield other than perhaps to give you a point of losing like well yeah to give you you better game design right Uh, unless it's a range thing maybe maybe you can't you know control those nanotech robots 
too far away. It has to be within a few miles. It's possible. I don't think that's accurate. But regardless, it prob- that probably won't exist. But what about manned mech suits? So armored core, mech warrior. How realistic is that? DARPA has that video of that exosuit. It's not really for combat. It's supposed to help soldiers travel long distances and carry heavy things, but it is an exosuit. In so many science fiction movies, we see mech suits or exosuits. Did you ever see Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise? No, but I really wanted to, and I've heard great things. So I I understand what you're saying, though. The exosuit makes sense, but amplifying human abilities is one thing. Making your soldiers indestructible is another. It's great they can jump higher, run faster, be quicker, it's better to have them in a slow, bulky, armored core style suit, I would think. I'm not a military tactical genius. I do think, though, having a Goliath, having an armored core is just better than having a bunch of people who can die from a bullet still. It's really about the cost, though. Not the cost of human lives, but the cost of equipment. So an exosuit, which is, you know, just some metal covering somebody, and it is built with actuators and things to enhance their strength, but it's not a giant robot. A giant robot is really supposed to be cost prohibitive, and if it gets destroyed, you've lost... I can't even imagine how much it costs to make a mech or an armored core, whereas an exosuit is, it makes the person a little bit bigger and it, it really enhances their capabilities and they can carry a lot more. It's possible we have both on the battlefield. I just think that the end result here is going to either be robots we can mass produce and farm out pretty cheaply, or if we're going to have humans on the battlefield, they're going to be damn well protected in these kind of armored core style suits because we just don't want to read about casualties anymore. I really think that's a question about the capability of our technology, whether or not we can produce robots that can adapt like that. That's why we have people on the ground instead of automated tanks. And that's probably why we're not going to have fully automated artificial intelligence. That's why I have an issue with believing that we'll have entirely automated drones and the whole StarCraft idea where it's one person controlling all that stuff because we don't have that level of technology. And I I think artificial intelligence, like true artificial intelligence that we can trust to make those kinds of decisions is too far off to even consider being in war. I don't think we're going to have that conversation, unfortunately. If you look at the legislative voting history for anything having to do with the military, we had the army last year quite literally say, please stop sending tanks. We don't need tanks. It's a waste of money. Congress had a vote about it and wound up voting to send them more tanks because no one wants to vote against the military. So if we have a vote coming forward that says we can put these drones out there that might kill innocent civilians in the Middle East, but our troops won't be there and our troops won't be at risk. No one's going to vote against that. We're going to have an entire Congress, an entire Senate saying, yes, of course, we would rather roll the dice and maybe kill civilians over there than put a single one of our troops in harm's way. Because they don't want to get in trouble for having troops die. They don't want to vote against the troops, of course. It's not voting against the troops. It's just that's how they that's how they look at it. In that military situation where you're talking about Congress voting to send tanks, was that from pressure from those from the companies that produce the the military? No, or was that from I mean, the yes, there's itself? always there's always lobbyist money determining everything. But this was much more. I don't want to vote against a defense budget. I don't want to vote against military aid. It's a huge issue and it, it's going to remain a huge issue. I'm not saying don't support the troops. I'm saying that the troops are quite literally saying we don't need this. How about you send us flak jackets because we don't have enough armor for everybody. And instead, we're just putting money in things that sound sexier on a voting bill. 
it's really interesting to see how different countries are looking at development for different types of warfare. So in the United States, we have DARPA, which is making these exoskeleton suits and it's making these off-road tanks. Whereas in Russia, they've been rolling out this new line of T-14s, which is super modular. It can equip all different kinds of weapons and it's bigger and it has a lot of it, it's it's bigger. It has more armor. It doesn't have anyone manning the actual turret in a tank, but now it just has the three guys in the tank while while the turret is controlled automatically. It is very interesting to see who's doing what, and you can almost see who cares a little bit more about not necessarily human life. I think everybody cares about life. It's it. Most countries are just most concerned with protecting their own citizens' lives, but maybe who cares the most about keeping the ideals of the Geneva Convention going forward? Who doesn't want unnecessary civilian death and casualty? It's an unwanted but very real outcome of basically every technological advance you can imagine in warfare. The second we invented guns, more people were going to die. The second we invented bombs, more civilians are going to die. You don't have to look that hard to see a a headline about a hospital being bombed or a a prisoner camp being bombed accidentally or intentionally by some country in the world including us, to point fingers at everybody who deserves it. It's part of war. Accidents happen, and there's some countries where it's not an accident. And it's going to be scary when it becomes a lot easier to just say, hey, let's shoot our satellite laser at Austin because he's just awful at podcasting. Well, that satellite laser could be used for many reasons. A lot of the technology that's developed for war ends up having civilian uses. So that laser could instead be used to clean the uh, clean my clothes. Like if I get a stain, that satellite laser could clean the stain off of my shirt. That's like, the best use of a satellite laser you could think of. Let's not act like biotesting is not going to be a huge part of this going forward. Look at Serenity. Look at Firefly. The Reavers, who were the most murderous, crazy, terrible people in the universe, were created due to a failed military experiment. They tried to release this gas onto a terraformed planet that makes everybody happy. And all of a sudden, oops, turns out we made everybody into monstrous, murderous animals. And the outlying planets that lost, that tried to secede, they got taken over by the rest of the uh, Federation, the Alliance, whatever it was. Is that how it's going to be handled in the future? When America loses a war against China, is China going to take over America and we'll have to adopt their traditions? In Serenity, we have America and China being one giant government that controls Earth. And then all the other planets that we keep exploring and finding are being terraformed. But it all traces back to America and China. The rest of the world seems to have lost and given up or being beaten by one of those two countries to the point where all the main characters speak both English and Chinese, which I I don't think that would happen. I think one language would kind of win the day. But regardless, that's a future that makes a lot of sense, isn't it? Where just countries are slowly but surely taken over or fall or are destroyed for whatever reason until we kind of have one government for the earth. A universal government for the earth would be a nice thing, don't you think? Because then we wouldn't have war. Yeah, it's not a bad thing on its face, except for all the countries and cultures and people that lost their... Yeah, you just lose culture, you lose traditions, that's fine, but at least (laughs) you have, you know, we have one united world with one language, and everybody is pretty much the same. But Firefly really has a lot of that great stuff in it, where there is the people who didn't want to play ball with all this stuff, they tried to secede, the brown coats, and it didn't work, and it failed, and instead of letting those outlying worlds remain independent... They were brought into the the government. They were assimilated. You're a fake scientist. Can a blaster pistol exist? Can you shoot a laser beam? I can't see why you wouldn't be able to shoot. It wouldn't be a laser beam. It would be a blast of plasma. See, as I understood it, you could only shoot an actual beam. You can't shoot off a broken little bolt like that. It's supposed to be like a bolt. It's not a laser. 
That's the thing, is that it, it can't be a laser beam, because yes, a laser beam would be a beam. It would be like a straight, continuous beam of light, whereas a, like a bolt, like a, it's, not, it's not a laser. It's Will a I have a laser energy. gun in a year is all I want to know. No, you Damn won't. It. And the only thing they have that they're doing with lasers right now is shooting down missiles, or they're developing it to, su- to shoot down missiles, but they're not actually like... Are you talking the, the thing that Reagan put in place? Yes, Star you th- Wars. You think that's still happening? Star Wars. <laughs> it's called Star Wars, and it's real. And it's it's what, probably still happening. I don't know why I even argue They with have anyone. something on ships that shoots down missiles oh railguns i forgot about railguns ships i'm sorry we were talking about ships railguns are one of my favorite futuristic weapons i don't remember if it was mech warrior or warhammer 40,000. something about railguns just propelling a little slug at such a fast speed that it will punch through anything is such a cool idea to me and they're actually installing them for testing on uh uh, uh ships like have like you ever fired a gun sea ships yes what kind of gun shotgun is that it Yes. What did you think of it? It hurt. On that note, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Ryan Morrison. You can follow me at Mr. Ryan Morrison on Twitter. I'm Austin Hoffman. You can follow me at Robot Austin on Twitter. And the show is at Robot underscore Congress. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Good night. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>